I'm going to read uh, the text for this morning, so if you could remain standing for just another minute. This is from Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom uh, also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So uh, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I'm not here alone. Uh, I'm here with a friend. Uh, his, his name is Chris. Um, he's one of our leaders uh, at church in Chelsea, and um, he's following well with uh, going bald as well. Um, with me. Uh, he's, he's in solidarity uh, with me. So I live far away from my parents. Um, my mom and dad live in Cape Town, South Africa. It's a long way away. We don't get to see them very often. And so we have learned to use technology to our advantage. We Skype, we FaceTime. But my kids, in essence, are growing up very far from grandma and grandpa now. In our culture, in Afrikaans, we call them Oma and Opa. That's what we call them. Oma, Grandma. Um, it's basically, direct, directly translated, it's Old Mom and Old Dad. Um, so Oma and Opa. And when, uh, when Opa, Grandpa, uh, meets with the kids or talks to them, they just love asking him to tell them stories. They go, Opa, tell us a story. Tell us a story. And what they mean is, Tell us something that happened to you in your childhood that we can learn from, relate to, laugh at, etc., etc. And he does this. And every now and then, when they are face-to-face, which is every few years, he would sit down with them at nighttime, and they would go, Opa, tell us a story. And he would start. And he would tell them these stories about when he was in the army, and he was in a helicopter, and he jumped out of the helicopter too early and uh, hurt his back while he was jumping into the, into the ba- kind of field of battle. Uh, and he, would, he, would, he st- still right now has back problems because of this. And they, they're learning where his kind of back problems come from. And then he would tell a story about how he was walking home from school uh, when he was in middle school um, with his friends. And they came across in the street a, a green mamba. It's a, a snake that you get in South Africa. It's a pretty poisonous snake. You can't mess around with it. And they, they were so paralyzed with the, fear, they didn't know what to do. So they grabbed a branch that they found next to the side of the street, and it, had, it still had big leaves on it, a big branch. And his one buddy grabs this branch, and they're all standing watching the snake and not know, knowing what to do. And he hits the snake as hard as he could. And then he lifted it up, and the snake was gone, which meant He just scooped the snake up into the air somewhere, and they don't know where it is, and they started running for their lives, and the kids are rolling on the floor just laughing at that. And he tells the story about him and his brother walking down this this pathway of their house, and there was a brick wall, and his brother would walk like this with his hand on the wall, and one day, his brother knocked one of the top bricks off, and it landed on his head. And he went running home complaining to his dad that my dad had thrown a brick at him and hit him, and he got into such big trouble. 
But over and over, every time that my dad gets to speak to the kids, he is telling them something about himself. Now, I don't know how you relate to God or what your relationship with God is like, but here's the thing that I think we get very wrong very often. If you're like me, there are swaths of time, long periods, in which I feel like God is just silent, just absent. And and I see this text and it says he sustains and upholds the universe by the word of his power. And sometimes my world, no, no, oftentimes my world feels like it is falling apart. And all I long for is for God to just speak just to say a word, and I know things will be okay, and I just hear silence. I know a pastor is not supposed to say that, right? I'm supposed to hear God fine and proper all the time. Direct connection to Him. They gave it to us when we went to college and studied about it. Uh, A special cell phone that we just connect with Him with. But if you're like me and like every other human being, there are just moments and seasons of silence And those are excruciating. All I long for is the voice of God to speak into a particular situation and uh, in a particular place in my life. According to this text and according to the entire scripture, the first thing I want to show us is, one, God is a relentless communicator. God is a relentless communicator. He speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks. In Genesis, he began by speaking. He created by speaking. In many, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God is by nature a communicator. He is by nature speaking. In Revelation, this is in the beginning we see him speaking. Um, he created by speaking. One, one pastor beautifully says, the stars in the sky obediently shines. That means they shine because they're told to. Because they obey the word that they have heard to shine. He sustains all things by his word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If God was not speaking, the universe would not be sustained. And so we have to say that which he has created, he is still speaking and communicating to his creation. In Revelation, he is still speaking. In Genesis, he's speaking. The first picture we see of God is him speaking. The last picture we see of God is him speaking. And by his spirit, it says in Revelation 21, he is saying, come, He is inviting. In the beginning, he is speaking. In the end, he is speaking. And all the way in between, he is speaking. Besides for, perhaps, arguably, a few hundred years between the Old and the New Testament where there was silence, but that was only from the prophets. That doesn't mean God was not communicating. It just means the prophets weren't speaking. He wasn't speaking through the prophets. So God, like a good father, is always communicating. Now, you may not have grown up with a great father or a great mother, but a good father and a good mother relates to their children by 
constant, vulnerable, all the time kind of communication. We wake up and we speak to them. We go to bed and we put them to sleep by speaking blessing over them, by praying over them, by letting them know they are loved. That's what good parents do. But what do they speak about? God, number two, primarily speaks by revealing himself. His first goal is to reveal himself to us through speaking. Now, when we look at Genesis, which we spoke to earlier, wait, before I get there, there is a deep and burning question in my heart, and I, th- I believe in the heart of every human being who has uh, at least a tendency to, uh, to, to believe that there might be a God. Some don't. Some believe there is no God, and yet, yet they still describe God as pretty mean. Um, but, but some believe there are no God. And if you're here and you believe there is no God, that's okay. I hope that you can hear even something of what this kind of God is like that we believe. But if you in your heart have an openness to believe that there is a God, then there is a question that comes to our hearts very immediately. What is that God like? Because if there is a God, it really matters what He is like, what they are like. If there is a God, it matters whether they are mean or kind. It matters whether they're weak or not. If they're weak, they really are probably not God. God, by definition, is the all-powerful, all-knowing, sustaining creator of everything. If that is who God is, our question is, what is God like? Anyone remember that, 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 that song that we used to give Uh, get as kids, I think it went, if God is very big and he is very bad, this whole world will be very, very sad. Maybe it was just in Africa we got that song. I don't know. (laughs) If God was very good, but he was very small, then God is maybe no God at all. That's what our songs went like. And so what the nature of the God is that we envision is really important. A.W. Tozer, an old theologian who's dead by now, it's good to read dead theologians because their stuff remains and they're tested through time. But his, uh, his idea was this. The most important thing about you, listen carefully, the most important thing about you is what you think When you think about God. That's what he said. Because how we think about God determines every area of our lives. It determines what you think about yourself. Sometimes we put ourselves first. So we think what you think about yourself is the most important thing. And so in the past, if you've been uh, alive for, for maybe more than 50 years, we need you. Uh, We need your wisdom. We need your gray hair. But if you've been alive for that long, you'd probably remember that the, the fixing of any human problem basically went like this. You should think less of yourself. You should be a little more humble and things will be better for you. And so the, the, the message to humanity by psychology, by uh, sometimes pastors, anyone was put yourself in the right place. Humble yourself. 
And, and, and that's how we disciplined our kids, right? To put them in the right place. Now, in our day, if you're, if you're younger than that, and if you're older than that, you've noticed it, and you're probably very alarmed by it, the message of hope is this. Think more of yourself. You're better than that. Go, stand up. You can do this. The problem with both of those scenarios is we still put ourselves at the center of our universe. It means that all of us and all we do is all about us. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says, uh, he's actually quoting another theologian, but he says, uh, it's not about thinking less of yourself or more of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Don't put yourself in the middle of the universe. What you think about God when you think about him is the most important thing about you. And so, when God communicates, it is his intent to show himself to you. And it's really important that we understand that. Romans 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Even those who have not heard the prophets speak or who do not look into Scripture can see the nature of a loving creator through seeing the universe that he created. He speaks about many, many things, but primarily he speaks to reveal himself to us because he knows that that is the most generous gift he can give. And in Genesis, when he creates, he didn't create because he was lonely. He didn't create because he was obliged. He didn't create because someone was twisting his arm and convinced him it was a good idea. He created because fundamentally he existed in perfect unity, bound together in love. That's why in John, 1 John, it can say, God is love, right? That's why that statement is so powerful. Because there are three persons in this Godhead bound so together in the unity of love that they're called one. And this oneness and this love was so kind and so generous that they decided, that he decided to share himself. To share who he is with the risk of betrayal, with the risk of sin, with the risk of rebellion. And yet, the kindest thing that he could ever do was to share himself and not to keep himself to himself. He existed in such a perfection before this world was created. And yet, he chose to open for us an opportunity to experience that. And so his communication is always self-giving and self-revealing in God's case. But the next thing that this text says is that he communicated in many ways and in many times. One, he created and therefore he communicated through creation. Looking at creation, one has to at least conclude if a God made this, he is magnificent. His creation is an act of self-revelation. It is an act of generosity. This Romans passage that we just read shows it. Then Psalm 19 says this, The heavens 
tell the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies. Yet their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. Who has not heard God speak recently? Because he has not stopped speaking. He is always showing his magnificence. And we are really good at this, right? We're really good in the city to be so, so cramped by our busyness, by the, the concrete around us, by, by, by these, these kind of worlds that we create of self-importance that we, we forget to stop, to slow down, to create ways within which we can hear his whispers. He speaks through creation. Secondly, he speaks through his acts. He speaks through everything that he does. Everything that he does reveals something about him. He is angry at wickedness and unrighteousness. He has compassion on the weak and the poor. It describes the goodness of God as we look through all of his acts. The way he governs his people speaks. In the Old Testament, there were, in essence, Three ways in which God governed his people. And his people, the Israelites, were supposed to be the display of what it is like when God is king. What it is like in life if a nation believes that God is God and we are created under him. What is life like? And they were supposed to be the display nation. And so what he did was he instituted these three offices um, of, of rulership, of government in his people in the day. And it was the prophet, the priest, and the king. So the king, his work was to enforce the righteousness of God, to rule and to govern and to administrate the kingdom well. The prophet was the person that stood on behalf of God speaking to man. In other words, the prophet represented who God was to his people. Because you've got to remember, because of sin, there was this massive gap between human and God. It was hard to relate. We, we lost his voice. God, who are you? We, we couldn't see him clearly. And the distance would, through sin, just grow bigger and bigger. And all of these offices were given to us to understand and see God better. The temple was given to us to see and understand God better. And so though it was not the perfect model, this was the model that God gave the Israelites. The king, the prophet, and the priest. The priest was the person that represented man to God. I don't know how you feel, but uh, in our government in, in, in the USA, I want uh, good people to represent me. In the Senate, in the House, I want good people to represent me. Now, I don't have a right to vote yet, so I can't affect that. I can't vote yet because my citizenship only comes next year. We're only permanent residents right now. And I want to be part of the system. Oh, look at that. Yeah. yeah. Citizenship, I'm telling you. We believe that we should be represented well. The priest was the one that was representing us to God the Israelites to God at the time. The priest would make atonement for people and their sin. The priest would stand in the way so that the wrath of God could come upon, in essence, the, the sacrifices instead of the people because of sin. And the priest stood 
representing man to God. So these three were one of the ways uh, in which God spoke to his people and revealed himself, his kindness and his care. Now, the next one is important because we're going to go back to these offices, but in the last days, this text that we're in says he spoke through his son. Yes, he spoke through the prophets. Yes, he spoke through creation. In many times, in many ways, God spoke. That's the point. But this Hebrews text makes a definitive line and says, in the last days, hear me carefully, he spoke ultimately through Jesus. And therefore, everything that we feel like God is speaking to us or should speak to us, everything that we think we're hearing through nature about God can get measured through Jesus because it says He's the exact imprint of His nature. And so His Son then becomes, in essence, the prophet. He is the king, so God shows his righteousness. He is also the priest representing us before God. But today, particularly, I want to speak about God using and bringing Jesus to be his mouthpiece, to be his representation to us, to speak to us the nature of God. Jesus then steps in, according to this text, and becomes the best picture that we will ever see of who God is. This burning question that we have in our heart, what is God like? Jesus. And so everything that we question about God, every time we're worried, every time we don't know something about God, we can rest assured that we can go back to Jesus, look at his life, look at what he said, look at what he did, and conclude what we need to about the nature of of God. When we want to hear God speak, do we go back to Jesus? Now remember, Jesus said in John, he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, but this is what you don't do. You don't find me. And all of them point to me. So what I mean is, yes, the life of Jesus in the scriptures, but also all of scripture points to Jesus. In other words, as we look to Jesus in all of Scripture, we get a beautiful big picture of the nature of God. He is compassionate to children. He is kind to the prostitute. He heals the sick. He forgives. He binds up the broken. He has patience with the weak. He gives dignity to women when the culture around them do not. He forgives the tax collector, the hated one. He combats lies and deceit with truth. He is angered by the extortion of the weak and the poor. He confronts the pride and displays humility. He always does it with grace. He loves, he loves, he loves, he never stops loving. When we look at him, we see the nature of God. God speaks through Jesus even still to us today. And if you want to hear his voice but can't, the chances are good. It's not because he is not speaking. It's because I have stopped listening. It's, st it's because I have filled my ears with other voices. It is because I fill my ears with voices of my peers, my voices in my own head. I don't know if you're like this, but some people, the voice in their head, and I'm not talking about particular challenges, but that self-voice in your head is way, way, way too loud. You listen to it way more than you listen to the voice of the Father, and that voice in your head is often way more critical than the Father is over your life. 
Some of us believe the narrative in our heads more than we do in Scripture. I am a failure. I am an addict. I am an outcast. I am not loved. Henry Nouwen, a beautiful Catholic theologian, actually said, these are the three big lies that we believe. I am what I have achieved. I am what I own. I am what others think about me. And we walk around with those voices over and over and over and over in our heads. And God is saying, no, I want to speak to you, and I want to speak to you. This is John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God right at the end. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. See, when you're away from a loved one, when you're far, if you've ever been off to war or if you're a veteran here today and you wrote letters to your loved one or you received letters from a loved one, it's kind of like that. It's like we want them to speak to us. Their letter is so precious, we fold them up and we, we, we store them and we put a picture of them really close by and we hold on to that until we can be together again. But some of us, live like that, Christ as prophet speaking the word of God to us, we live reunited with our loved ones, but we still go to the letters. Instead of realizing that Jesus spoke the words, not just to give us a word, but he became the word. And so now God says eternal life, in John 17 he says this is eternal life, that you know me that you know the Father, that you're intimate and close with the Father. Not that you know about Him, not that you hear of Him, not that you come just to church on a Sunday and hear about Him, but that you get to relate with Him and hear Him speak. And so Jesus was not just the prophet, He was also the Word spoken by God. He is more than the prophet. And today we're going to come to communion. It's the Sunday that you partake in communion. And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus becoming the message. That he himself is the message. He didn't just come to bring good news. He was the good news. And the fact that he lived that out means this. It means that he wants us to live a life with him that's not detached. That's not a religion. It's not something we, we're supposed to do. It is literally the relationship that we have with him that gives us life. And so if you're like me and you struggle to hear the voice of God, I would love for you to hear the voice of God because he is speaking. We're going to pray and we're also going to um, just respond, particularly through communion because of that. What God is saying, he is saying through Jesus. Now sometimes he speaks love in ways that we don't want to hear love. God disciplines, he says, and he loves because he disciplines us. So going through tough times and having our lives not the way that we want it to be is hard. You and I have experienced that. Some of us have experienced way more hardship than others. But here's the funny thing. When we go through hardship, my heart goes, God, where are you? 
But yet the scripture says he cares about us so much that he disciplines us, that he allows hardship somehow in our lives. He doesn't cause it. He's not, he is not the one that's inflicting pain, but he allows us because it reminds us of our need of him. It reminds us of our weakness. It reminds us that we need to run to him, yes. right? And so instead of when there is hard times, and you might be in one right now, you might be in despair right now, instead of going, God, you have forsaken me, could you possibly for a moment go, God, can you love me in this moment? Is it your love that you're drawing me to you because I want to hear your voice? And in our culture, there's a study that has shown one of the lies that we believe is... What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Now, now what the author of that study is saying is, uh, we are going to try to avoid any hardship because it's bad for us. That's what our culture is about. So he's coined this phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. We actually believe that. And so we try to eliminate it from our lives. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God, what are you doing in me? Where can... When, when, when Paul speaks to God, and this is hard to hear sometimes. It's hard for me to hear. When Paul speaks to God and says, God, I've got this thorn in my flesh. Surely you love me. Take it away from me. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. And if you did not have that thorn in your flesh, you would not experience my grace. And so God wants to, he longs to, he loves to pour out his grace on us. But oftentimes in our weaknesses, we run to other things for strength. We run, we run to borrow mon money. We run to people in whom we think is going to be our strength and our hope and our salvation. Some of us rely way, way, way too much on our government to bring us the, the life we need. And we're perpetually disappointed. We might think we're happy for four or eight years and then the tides turn and then it's, it's rough again. We have, made, we have made an idol out of the governing authorities in our lives. So, God disciplines the ones he loves. Romans 1, there's the, the, the rest of that passage actually says that God gave them over to the desires of their hearts. And when he says that, that's actually when you should be worried. When God gives you, when you're just getting all the desires of your heart, you're in trouble. Uh, and uh, Jim Carrey, I don't know if you've seen any movies by Jim Carrey. Yeah? I love this moment. He, he, he has this quote where he says, I wish everybody could get everything they ever desired so that they can see it's not worth it. So they can see it doesn't bring happiness. And he's one that's certainly very successful, right? One theologian says this, no matter how deep we probe into the motives of God, we will never arrive at a layer which is not love. No matter how deep we probe in the motives of God, into the motives of God, we will never arrive at a layer which is not love. What does this mean for us? One, it means that God is speaking, and I would love to pray that you be hearing his voice. You be hearing his voice. Number two, and this is where I want to go to before we go to the, the, the communion table. God is not only speaking to you, but he also wants to speak through you. Yes. And so we are called what? The body of Christ, right? Yeah. The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We have now become his flesh and blood on the earth. So this is the 
weightiness of the reality that I'd like us to hear. Christ was the prophet and he spoke. God speaks. He wasn't just the prophet, he was the word of God. His word was, I will lay down my life. That's what we're coming to at the table. I will give my life, literally, my flesh and my blood. I will give everything for you. As an act of love, I want the world to see that I love them. I want them to see it, to know it, not to question it, to know it. And this is what I will do. I will lay no greater, greater love is no man than to lay down his life for a friend. So Jesus says that. That was his message. And then he does it. And he becomes the message. The greatest flaw of the church in history is that we have a message, but we haven't lived the message. That we speak the message, but we don't do like Jesus did and lay down our life for one another. That we don't actually become the message, the body of Christ. And so this is a very, very sacred moment. Not because the bread turns to his flesh because it doesn't. Not because the, the wine becomes his blood because it doesn't. This is a symbol that God gave us. We all need reminders. We need reminders all the time. This is a reminder, a constant reminder of what Jesus did for us, that he spoke and did his love, his message of love over us. But here's the thing. When Jesus breaks this bread to his disciples, he says, whenever you gather, whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember this. But it's also a commissioning, right? It's not just... I want you to do the symbol so that you remember. It is, I want you to do the same as I did. As I'm about to do, I'm about to lay down my life, and you'll only understand this one day, but as the body of Christ commissioned to go and to love one another, he, Jesus says this, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. And we love one another by laying down our life for each other. And so as we come today to the table, we're not just coming to a symbol that we do and then it's done and then we can go. We're coming to the table to be reminded that this is the way we ought to live. We ought to literally be breaking ourselves, giving our lives for the love of Jesus to be seen in our world. Christ was the prophet who became the actual prophecy, the word spoken to us. And that word spoken to us is now what we carry to the ends of the earth. We, that, is our, that is our job. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to come. But before we come, I want you to know this. If you do not believe that Jesus is Lord, is who he says he is, then Scripture warns us that partaking in this meal uh, inauthentically, without the integrity of your heart, is dangerous for you. It's, it's, it's dangerous for anyone to live in a way uh, where your, your body and your soul and your mind is split. It's dangerous to live one way at work and a different way at home. Your life will catch up with you. It's dangerous. Your soul is breaking when you are not living in integrity with your truth, your mind, your body. We're supposed to be holistic beings that God created. And what I say, what my mind tells me, if my mind says to me, hey, 
eating this or drinking this is really bad for you, but my body and my will goes, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm slowly killing myself. It's not unlike that when we come to this table. If, you, if your heart and your soul believes, or even today wants to believe, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that his way of love is the way that life works best, that we can trust, then you are welcome to come and bring your life to this table and say, God, come and meet me today at this table. But if it's not, I want to suggest that you just stay in your seat. Just pray honest prayers and say, God, would you hear me? Would you speak to me? Just, just be honest before God and see how he responds. He might have already been speaking to you today. And so the cup that we pour uh, as we pour this is, uh, is not wine, it's juice. So uh, you can come with a clear conscience and just partake in this. It's juice and bread. And so I'm going to come down here. Uh, I, oh, I know Edwin does that the whole time. He's older than me, but he lives younger than me. Um, and this is the bread, one body broken for us. So if those who are serving communion can come up, please. Christ broke his body for us. And we were part of that. <clears throat> and so today, we come to the table. He broke, his body was broken for us, and his blood was shed for us. And as you come and participate in this, I want you to hear this morning that he laid down his life in an act of love, because that's what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave. So, here we go. I'm going to pray for us, and when you're ready, you can just come and partake of communion. Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it, and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you poured the cup. You said, this is my blood shed for you, and you were prophesying this ultimate act of love that you were showing us. You weren't just prophesying, you were inviting us into the same way where we give ourselves. And today as we come, we receive your grace, we hear your words spoken to us, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and we ask that we would be your body to our world, speaking the love of Jesus to all who need to hear, to all who need to taste and see that you are good that you love, that you care. Come and meet people here today, God, by your grace. Come and whisper to them by your spirit, God, as you speak to us now by your spirit. You said, it is good that I go because the helper will come. And ultimately, you come and speak by your spirit with us in this age. And I thank you for that, God, that you have not left us as orphans. Come and speak to us again now as we partake in this beautiful, sacred ritual. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you come?